Section 23 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Clark. What is Property? An Enquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Second Memoir, Part 1. What is Property? Second Memoir. A Letter to Monsieur Blanqui. Paris, April 1st, 1841. Monsieur, before resuming my inquiries into government and property, it is fitting for the satisfaction of some worthy people, and also in the interest of order, that I should make to you a plain, straightforward explanation. In a much-governed state, no one would be allowed to attack the external form of the society and the groundwork of its institutions until he had established his right to do so, first by his morality, second by his capacity, and third by the purity of his intentions. Any one who, wishing to publish a treatise upon the constitution of the country, could not satisfy this threefold condition, would be obliged to procure the endorsement of a responsible patron possessing the requisite qualifications. But we Frenchmen have the liberty of the press. This grand right, the sort of thought which elevates the virtuous citizen to the rank of legislator and makes the malicious citizen an agent of discord, frees us from all preliminary responsibility to the law but it does not release us from our internal obligation to render a public account of our sentiments and thoughts. I have used in all its fullness, and concerning an important question, the right which the Charter grants us. I come today, sir, to submit my conscience to your judgment and my feeble insight to your discriminating reason. You have criticized in a kindly spirit, I had almost said with partiality for the writer, a work which teaches a doctrine that you thought it your duty to condemn. The Academy of Moral and Political Sciences, said you in your report, quote, can accept the conclusions of the author only as far as it likes, end quote. I venture to hope, sir, that, after you have read this letter, if your prudence still restrains you, your fairness will induce you to do me justice. Men equal in the dignity of their persons and equal before law should be equal in their conditions. Such is the thesis which I maintained and developed in a memoir bearing the title, What is Property? or An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government. The idea of social equality, even in individual fortunes, has in all ages besieged, like a vague presentment, the human imagination. Poets have sung of it in their hymns, philosophers have dreamed of it in their utopias, priests teach it, but only for the spiritual world. The people, governed by it, have never had faith in it, and the civil power is never more disturbed than by the fables of the age of gold and the reign of Astria. A year ago, however, this idea received a scientific demonstration, which has not yet been satisfactorily answered, and, permit me to add, never will be. This demonstration, owing to its slightly impassioned style, its method of reasoning, which was so at variance with that employed by the generally recognized authorities, and the importance and novelty of its conclusions, was of a nature to cause some alarm, and might have been dangerous had it not been, as you, sir, so well said, a sealed letter, so far as the general public was concerned, addressed only to men of intelligence. I was glad to see that, through its metaphysical dress, you recognized the wise foresight of the author, and I thank you for it. May God grant that my intentions, which are wholly peaceful, may never be charged upon me as treasonable. Like a stone thrown into a mass of serpents, the first memoir on property excited intense animosity and aroused the passions of many. But while some wished the author and his work to be publicly denounced, others found in them simply the solution of the fundamental problems of society, a few even basing evil speculations upon the new light which they had obtained. It was not to be expected that a system of inductions abstractly gathered together and still more abstractly expressed 
would be understood with equal accuracy in its ensemble and in each of its parts. To find the law of equality no longer in charity and self-sacrifice, which are not binding in their nature, but in justice, to base equality of functions upon equality of persons, to determine the absolute principle of exchange, to neutralize the inequality of individual faculties by collective force, to establish an equation between property and robbery, to change the law of succession without destroying the principle, to maintain the human personality in a system of absolute association, and to save liberty from the chains of communism, to synthesize the monarchical and democratic forms of government, to reverse the division of powers, to give the executive power to the nation, and to make legislation a positive, fixed, and absolute science. What a series of paradoxes! What a string of delusions! If I may not say, what a chain of truths! But it is not my purpose here to pass upon the theory of the right of possession. I discuss no dogmas. My only object is to justify my views, and to show that, in writing as I did, I not only exercised a right, but performed a duty. Yes, I have attacked property, and shall attack it again. But, sir, before demanding that I shall make the amen honorable for having obeyed my conscience and spoken the exact truth, condescend, I beg of you, to cast a glance at the events which are happening around us. Look at our deputies, our magistrates, our philosophers, our ministers, our professors, and our publicists. Examine their methods of dealing with the matter of property. Count up with me the restrictions placed upon it every day in the name of public welfare. Measure the breaches already made. Estimate those which society thinks of making hereafter. Add the ideas concerning property held by all theories in common. Interrogate history. And then tell me what will be left, half a century hence, of this old right of property. And thus perceiving that I have so many accomplices, you will immediately declare me innocent. What is the law of expropriation on the ground of public utility, which everybody favors and which is even thought too lenient? Footnote. In the Chamber of Deputies, during the session of the 5th of January, 1841, M. Dufour moved to renew the expropriation bill on the ground of public utility. End of footnote. A flagrant violation of the right of property. Society indemnifies, it is said, the dispossessed proprietor, but does it return to him the traditional associations, the poetic charm and the family pride which accompany property? Naboth and the miller of Sanssouci would have protested against French law as they protested against the caprice of their kings. It is the field of our fathers, they would have cried, and we will not sell it. Among the ancients, the refusal of the individual limited the powers of the state. The Roman law bound to the will of the citizen and an emperor, Commodus, if I remember rightly, abandoned the project of enlarging the forum out of respect for the rights of the occupants who refused to abdicate. Property is a real right, jus en re, a right inherent in the thing and whose principle lies in the external manifestation of man's will. Man leaves his imprint, stamps his character upon the objects of his handiwork. This plastic force of man, as the modern jurists say, is the seal which, set upon matter, makes it holy. Whoever lays hands upon it against the proprietor's will does violence to the latter's personality. And yet, when an administrative committee saw fit to declare that the public utility required it, property had to give way to the general will. Soon, in the name of public utility, methods of cultivation and conditions of enjoyment will be prescribed. Inspectors of agriculture and manufacturers will be appointed. Property will be taken away from unskillful hands and entrusted to laborers who are more deserving of it, and a general superintendence of production will be established. It is not two years since I saw a proprietor destroy a forest more than 500 acres in extent. If public utility had interfered, that forest, the only one for miles around, would still be standing. But, it is said, expropriation on the ground of public utility is only an exception which confirms the principle and bears testimony in favor of the right. 
very well but from this exception we will pass to another from that to a third and so on from exceptions to exceptions until we have reduced the rule to a pure abstraction how many supporters do you think sir can be claimed for the project of the conversion of the public funds i dare to say that everybody favors it except the fund holders now this so-called conversion is an extensive expropriation and in this case with no indemnity whatever the public funds are so much real estate the income from which the proprietor counts upon with perfect safety and which owes its value to the tacit promise of the government to pay interest upon it at the established rate until the fundholder applies for redemption for if the income is liable to diminution it is less profitable than house rent or farm rent whose rates may rise or fall according to the fluctuations in the market and in that case what inducement has the capitalist to invest his money in the state when then you force the fundholder to submit to a diminution of interest you make him bankrupt to the extent of the diminution and since in consequence of the conversion an equally profitable investment becomes impossible you depreciate his property that such a measure may be justly executed it must be generalized that is the law which provides for it must decree also that interest on sums lent on deposit or on mortgage throughout the realm as well as house and farm rents shall be reduced to three per cent this simultaneous reduction of all kinds of income would not be a whit more difficult to accomplish than the proposed conversion and further it would offer the advantage of forestalling at one blow all objections to it at the same time that it would ensure a just assessment of the land tax see if at the moment of conversion a piece of real estate yields an income of one thousand francs after the new law takes effect it will yield only six hundred francs now allowing the tax to be an par, one-fourth for example of the income derived from each piece of property it is clear on the one hand that the proprietor would not in order to lighten his share of the tax underestimate the value of his property since house and farm rents being fixed by the value of the capital and the latter being measured by the tax to depreciate his real estate would be to reduce his revenue on the other hand it is equally evident that the same proprietors could not overestimate the value of their property in order to increase their incomes beyond the limits of the law since the tenants and farmers with their old leases in their hands would enter a protest such sir must be the result sooner or later of the conversion which has been so long demanded otherwise the financial operation of which we are speaking would be a crying injustice unless intended as a stepping-stone this last motive seems the most plausible one for in spite of the clamours of interested parties and the flagrant violation of certain rights the public conscience is bound to fulfil its desire and is no more affected when charged with attacking property than when listening to the complaints of the bondholders in this case instinctive justice belies legal justice who has not heard of the inextricable confusion into which the chamber of deputies was thrown last year while discussing the question of colonial and native sugars did they leave these two industries to themselves the native manufacturer was ruined by the colonist to maintain the beetroot the cane had to be taxed to protect the property of the one it became necessary to violate the property of the other the most remarkable feature of this business was precisely that to which the least attention was paid namely that in one way or another property had to be violated did they impose on each industry a proportional tax so as to preserve a balance in the market they created a maximum price for each variety of sugar and as this maximum price was not the same they attacked property in two ways on the one hand interfering with the liberty of trade on the other disregarding the equality of proprietors did they suppress the beetroot by granting an indemnity to the manufacturer they sacrificed the property of the taxpayer finally did they prefer to cultivate the two varieties of sugar at the nation's expense just as different varieties of tobacco are cultivated they abolished so far as the sugar industry was concerned the right of property 
this last course being the most social would have been certainly the best but if property is the necessary basis of civilization how is this deep-seated antagonism to be explained footnote what is property chapter four ninth proposition end of footnote not satisfied with the power of dispossessing a citizen on the ground of public utility they also want to dispossess him on the ground of private utility for a long time a revision of the law concerning mortgages was clamored for a process was demanded in behalf of all kinds of credit and in the interest of even the debtors themselves which would render the expropriation of real estate as prompt as easy and as effective as that which follows a commercial protest the chamber of deputies in the early part of this year eighteen forty one discussed this project and the law was passed almost unanimously there is nothing more just nothing more reasonable nothing more philosophical apparently than the motives which gave rise to this reform one formerly the small proprietor whose obligation had arrived at maturity and who found himself unable to meet it had to employ all that he had left after being released from his debt in defraying the legal costs henceforth the promptness of expropriation will save him from total ruin two the difficulties in the way of payment arrested credit and prevented the employment of capital in agricultural enterprises this cause of distrust no longer existing capitalists will find new markets agriculture will rapidly develop and farmers will be the first to enjoy the new benefit of the law three finally it was iniquitous and absurd that on account of a protested note a poor manufacturer should see in twenty-four hours his business arrested his labor suspended his merchandise seized his machinery sold at auction and finally himself let off to prison while two years were sometimes necessary to expropriate the most miserable piece of real estate these arguments and others besides you clearly stated sir in your first lectures of this academic year but when stating these excellent arguments did you ask yourself sir whither would tend such a transformation of our system of mortgages to monetize if i may say so landed property to accumulate it within portfolios to separate the laborer from the soil man from nature to make him a wanderer over the face of the earth to eradicate from his heart every trace of family feeling national pride and love of country to isolate him more and more to render him indifferent to all around him to concentrate his love upon one object money and finally by the dishonest practices of usury to monopolize the land to the profit of a financial aristocracy a worthy auxiliary of that industrial feudality whose pernicious influence we begin to feel so bitterly thus little by little the subordination of the laborer to the idler the restoration of abolished castes and the distinction between patrician and plebeian would be effected thus thanks to the new privileges granted to the property of the capitalists that of the small and intermediate proprietors would gradually disappear and with it the whole class of free and honest laborers this certainly is not my plan for the abolition of property far from mobilizing the soil i would if possible immobilize even the functions of pure intelligence so that society might be the fulfillment of the intentions of nature who gave us our first possession the land for if the instrument or capital of production is the mark of the laborer it is also his pedestal his support his country and as the palmist says the place of his activity and his rest footnote the emperor nicholas has just compelled all the manufacturers in his empire to maintain at their own expense within their establishments small hospitals for the reception of sick workmen the number of beds in each being proportional to the number of laborers in the factory you profit by man's labor the Tsar would have said to his proprietors, you shall be responsible for man's life. M. Blanqui has said that such a measure could not succeed in France. It would be an attack upon property, a thing hardly conceivable even in Russia. Scythia, or among the Cossacks, but among us, the oldest sons of civilization, 
I fear very much that this quality of age may prove in the end a mark of decrepitude. End of footnote. Let us examine more closely still the inevitable and approaching result of the last law concerning judicial sales and mortgages. Under the system of competition which is killing us, and whose necessary expression is a plundering and tyrannical government, the farmer will need always capital in order to repair his losses, and will be forced to contract loans. Always depending upon the future for the payment of his debts, he will be deceived in his hope and surprised by maturity. For what is there more prompt, more unexpected, more abbreviatory of space and time than the maturity of an obligation? I address this question to all whom this pitiless nemesis pursues, and even troubles in their dreams. Now, under the new law, the expropriation of a debtor will be effected a hundred times more rapidly. Then, also, spoliation will be a hundred times surer, and the free laborer will pass a hundred times sooner from his present condition to that of a serf attached to the soil. Formerly, the length of time required to effect the seizure curbed the usurer's avidity, and gave rise to a transaction between him and his creditor which might result finally in a complete release. Now the debtor's sentence is irrevocable. He has but a few days of grace." And what advantages are promised by this law as an offset to this sword of Damocles suspended by a single hair over the head of the unfortunate husbandman? The expenses of seizure will be much less, it is said, but will the interest on the borrowed capital be less exorbitant? For, after all, it is the interest which impoverishes the peasant and leads to his expropriation. That the law may be in harmony with its principle, that it may be truly inspired by the spirit of justice for which it is commended, it must, while facilitating expropriation, lower the legal price of money. Otherwise the reform concerning mortgages is but a trap for small proprietors, a legislative trick. Lower interest on money. But as we have just seen, that is to limit property. Here, sir, you shall make your own defense. More than once in your learned lectures I have heard you deplore the precipitancy of the chambers, who, without previous study and without profound knowledge of the subject, voted almost unanimously to maintain the statutes and privileges of the bank. Now these privileges, these statutes, this vote of the chambers mean simply this, that the market price of specie at five or six percent is not too high, and that the conditions of exchange, discount, and circulation, which generally double this interest, are none too severe. So the government thinks. M. Blanqui, a professor of political economy paid by the state, maintains the contrary, and pretends to demonstrate by decisive arguments the necessity of a reform. Who then best understands the interest of property, the state or M. Blanqui? If specie could be borrowed at half the present rate, the revenues from all sorts of property would soon be reduced by one half also. For example, when it costs less to build a house than to hire one, when it is cheaper to clear a field than procure one already cleared, competition inevitably leads to a reduction of house and farm rents, since the surest way to depreciate active capital is to increase its amount. But it is a law of political economy that an increase of production augments the mass of available capital, consequently tends to raise wages, and finally to annihilate interest. Then proprietors are interested in maintaining the statutes and privileges of the bank. Then a reform in this matter would compromise the right of increase. Then the peers and deputies are better informed than Professor Blanqui. But these same deputies, so jealous of their privileges whenever the equalizing effects of a reform are within their intellectual horizon, what did they do a few days before they passed the law concerning judicial sales? They formed a conspiracy against property. Their law to regulate the labor of children in factories will without doubt prevent the manufacturer from compelling a child to labor more than so many hours a day, but it will not force him to increase the pay of the child, nor that of its father. Today, in the interest of health, we diminish the subsistence of the poor. Tomorrow it will be necessary to protect them by fixing their minimum wages. 
but to fix their minimum wages is to compel the proprietor is to force the master to accept his workman as an associate which interferes with freedom and makes mutual insurance obligatory once entered upon this path we shall never stop little by little the government will become manufacturer commission merchant and retail dealer it will be the sole proprietor why at all epochs have the ministers of state been so reluctant to meddle with the question of wages why have they always refused to interfere between the master and the workman because they know the touchy and jealous nature of property and regarding it as the principle of all civilization felt that to meddle with it would be to unsettle the very foundations of society sad condition of the proprietary regime one of the inability to exercise charity without violating justice and sir this fatal consequence which necessity forces upon the state is no mere imagination even now the legislative power is asked no longer simply to regulate the government of factories but to create factories itself listen to the millions of voices shouting on all hands for the organization of labor the creation of national workshops the whole laboring class is agitated it has its journals organs and representatives to guarantee labor to the workingmen to balance production with sale to harmonize industrial proprietors it advocates today as a sovereign remedy one sole head one national wardenship one huge manufacturing company for sir all this is included in the idea of national workshops on this subject i wish to quote as proof the views of an illustrious economist a brilliant mind a progressive intellect an enthusiastic soul a true patriot and yet an official defender of the right of property footnote course of m blanqui lecture of november twenty seventh eighteen forty end of footnote the honorable professor of the conservatory proposes then one to check the continual emigration of laborers from the country into the cities but to keep the peasant in his village his residence there must be made endurable to be just to all the proletaire of the country must be treated as well as the proletaire of the city reform is needed then on farms as well as in factories and when the government enters the workshop the government must seize the plough what becomes during this progressive invasion of independent cultivation exclusive domain property two to fix for each profession a moderate salary varying with time and place and based upon certain data the object of this measure would be to secure laborers their subsistence and to proprietors their profits while obliging the latter to sacrifice from motives of prudence if for no other reason a portion of their income now i say that this portion in the long run would swell until at last there would be an equality of enjoyment between the proletaire and the proprietor for as we have had occasion to remark several times already the interest of the capitalist in other words the increase of the idler tends on account of the power of labor the multiplication of products and exchanges to continually diminish and by constant reduction to disappear so that in the society proposed by m blanqui equality would not be realized at first but would exist potentially since property though outwardly seeming to be industrial feudality being no longer a principle of exclusion and encroachment but only a privilege of division would not be slow thanks to the intellectual and political emancipation of the proletariat in passing into absolute equality as absolute at least as anything can be on this earth i omit for the sake of brevity the numerous considerations which the professor adduces in support of what he calls too modestly in my opinion his utopia they would serve only to prove beyond all question that of all the charlatans of radicalism who fatigue the public ear no one approaches for depth and clearness of thought the audacious m blanqui three national workshops should be in operation only during periods of stagnation in ordinary industries at such times they should be open as vast outlets to the flood of the laboring population 
but sir the stoppage of private industry is the result of overproduction and insufficient markets if then production continues in the national workshops how will the crisis be terminated undoubtedly by the general depreciation of merchandise and in the last analysis by the conversion of private workshops into national workshops on the other hand the government will need capital with which to pay its workmen now how will this capital be obtained by taxation and upon what will the tax be levied upon property then you will have proprietary industry sustaining against itself and at its own expense another industry with which it cannot compete what think you will become in this fatal circle of the possibility of profit in a word of property thank heaven equality of conditions is taught in the public schools let us fear revolutions no longer the most implacable enemy of property could not if he wished to destroy it go to work in a wiser and more effective way courage then ministers deputies economists make haste to seize this glorious initiative let the watchwords of equality uttered from the heights of science and power be repeated in the midst of the people let them thrill the breasts of the proletaires and carry dismay into the ranks of the last representatives of privilege the tendency of society in favor of compelling proprietors to support national workshops and public manufactories is so strong that for several years under the name of electoral reform it has been exclusively the question of the day what is after all this electoral reform which the people grasp at as if it were a bait and which so many ambitious persons either call for or denounce it is the acknowledgment of the right of the masses to a voice in the assessment of taxes and the making of the laws which laws aiming always at the protection of material interests affect in a greater or lesser degree the questions of taxation or wages now the people instructed long since by their journals their dramas footnote, in Masaniello, the Neapolitan fisherman demands, amid the applause of the galleries, that a tax be levied upon luxuries. End of footnote. And their songs. Footnote. C'est le champ proletaire, c'est le suif qui récoltère. End of footnote. Know today that taxation, to be equitably divided, must be graduated and must be borne mainly by the rich, that it must be levied upon luxuries, etc. And be sure that the people, once in the majority in the chamber, will not fail to apply these lessons. Already we have a minister of public works national workshops will follow and soon as a consequence the excess of the proprietor's revenue over the workingmen's wages will be swallowed up in the coffers of the laborers of the state do you not see that in this way property is gradually reduced as nobility was formerly to a nominal title to a distinction purely honorary in its nature either the electoral reform will fail to accomplish that which is hoped from it and will disappoint its innumerable partisans or else it will inevitably result in a transformation of the absolute right under which we live into a right of possession that is that while at present property makes the elector after this reform is accomplished the citizen the producer will be the possessor footnote in some countries the enjoyment of certain political rights depends upon the amount of property but in these same countries property is expressive rather than attributive of the qualifications necessary to the exercise of these rights it is rather a conjectural proof than the cause of these qualifications. Rossi, Treatise on Penal Law, end of footnote. Consequently, the radicals are right in saying that the electoral reform is in their eyes only a means, but when they are silent as to the end, they show their profound ignorance or useless dissimulation. There should be no secrets or reservations from peoples and powers. He disgraces himself and fails in respect for his fellows, who, in publishing his opinions, employs evasion and cunning before the people act they need to know the whole truth unhappy he who shall dare to trifle with them for the people are credulous but they are strong 
let us tell them then that this reform which is proposed is only a means a means often tried and hitherto without effect but that the logical object of the electoral reform is equality of fortunes and that this equality itself is only a new means having in view the superior and definitive object of the salvation of society the restoration of morals and religion and the revival of poetry and art this assertion of m rossi is not borne out by history property is the cause of electoral right not as a presumption of capacity an idea which never prevailed until lately and which is extremely absurd but as a guarantee of devotion to the established order the electoral body is a league of those interested in the maintenance of property against those not interested there are thousands of documents even official documents to prove this if necessary for the rest the present system is only a continuation of the municipal system which in the middle ages sprang up in connection with feudalism an oppressive mischief-making system full of petty passions and base intrigues end of section twenty three second memoir part one recording by chris clark